Listening Dog Media. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Muddy Knees Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule in association with Football Manager. I'm Kate Borsay and the trio remain together solid as a rock. I'm joined once again by Hayley McQueen and Lindsay Hooper. We're all in lockdown. We're all in our own homes still. Uh, the big news for me is that next door are building a patio as we speak. So if you hear some pneumatic drilling, <laughs> you know what's going on. Um, Hayley and Lindsay, how are you? I have breaking news. I have the start of what I would call a tan. As long oh, as it's not the start it. of coronavirus, then that's no. okay. You can have anything you want. <laughs> we, it's, we've had this beautiful weather to enjoy and having not been on holiday for quite a while now, um, it takes a bit longer for me to, to get that nice shade of brown, but it's starting to come. And Hayley, your summer house is coming along nicely, I gather. You've got a sleeping baby and a nice cool beverage in your hands. I do. So. Life is good. And I've just had a hazelnut spread brioche. I'm just <laughs> replanning my rearranged wedding. So I'm feeling very French today. And I'm in a little all-in-one jumpsuit already and dressed up to sit here and record a podcast out of sight. <laughs> oh, well, it's brilliant to be joined by you both again. And if nothing else, it just gives us a chance to check in with each other every week. Mm-hmm. And that sort of optimism that's sort of flavouring all of us at the moment is is spreading into football, isn't it? There is a is a glimmer of something in the air. We'll talk about the WSL, the Women's Super League, later because, of course, we have had news um, that that's uh, that the season has been curtailed. So there'll be no more WSL this season. That's, I suppose, some confirmation that we were expecting. But in terms of the Premier League, there's been some quite sort of uh, moving news lines surrounding that this week, and it feels, doesn't it, like we're about to get back to business. Although the, the business will be quite different in the way that it's carried out, it does. Feel feel like there's a bit of hope on the horizon. It does. I've I've dusted off my reporter jacket. It's ready oh, to go. Oh, hang on. Mm. Big news. Big news. This means you're serious, right? Mm-hmm. 
the amount of games that there are going to be in a single weekend just by the projections that I've seen means it's going to be busy. I'm not maybe going to be able to be got hold of very easily. (laughs) (laughs) Out of action every weekend until (laughs) the end of time. Have you been told, Lindsay, about when you might need to return to work? No, nothing official yet. Um, Okay. it's, It's all bubbling away. And Hayley, you're due to go back to Sky Sports Mm. News, aren't you, very soon? Yeah, so the 14th on a Sunday, I'll be back. Um, There won't be any live action by then. Obviously, hoping for some La Liga to to report on and Bundesliga as well, which is um, ongoing. And I think we're just ramping up our programming and um, build up to the start in the Premier League. We have sort of briefings every couple of days at Sky Sports just to talk over what will happen, what we know, keeping everyone in the loop to make sure we have enough staff to come back to work, um, having to completely change the layout of the office, which sounds like a a massive task in itself. I'm just wondering how they're going to get people on site at the various stadiums, what that's going to be like for the viewers at home who'll get to watch. I mean, it's going to be constant football almost every evening, I imagine. Big Friday night games, weekend Mm. matches, Monday night football, back to back games. And if the weather continues like this, I'm going to be finding it hard as to whether I sit inside and watch the football or or sit outside with a nice lolly, just continuing to top up a tan and and, um, continue. (laughs) Turning on the radio, perhaps. Yeah, I know. So definitely positive stuff in the air. Let's just kind of summarise the main news lines. Uh, Former individuals have come back with positive tests after round three of testing in the Premier League. Uh, Just over a thousand people tested in total. Troy Deeney, he's been one of the critics, hasn't he, um, of returning too soon. Uh, He's voiced concerns. He's expected to return to training next week. In the second round of testing in the Championship, meanwhile, three positive tests have been returned out of just over a thousand Um, two of which are from Fulham. Well, coming up on the show, we are going to talk about uh, the Women's Super League season coming to an end and uh, Richard Laverty will be helping us talk through the different ramifications of that and where it goes from here in terms of who wins what, would there be relegation, what happens in the Champions League and everything else beside. Uh, We're also going to be talking about Frankenstein's footballer. Okay, (laughs) What this means is we're going to basically stitch together the best parts of every football to make uh, someone who excels in every area. This is prompted um, by Thomas Muller, who said that Dortmund's goalkeeper, Berkey, had short arms. Uh, so how do we make the ideal footballer? Uh, we're also going to be celebrating what would short have been the champions. surely aren't ideal for a goalkeeper, though. Yes, exactly. So if we've got a short-arm goalkeeper, they need to be replaced by longer arms. <laughs> I guess it's the best of every asset, every, every possible asset to come up with this uber footballer. Uh, we're also going to be celebrating what would have been the champions League final and looking at players and teams who've never held that trophy aloft. And a reminder that we're on Jack Radio every Friday at four o'clock in the afternoon. So check us out there too. So first topic, ladies, let's get stuck into the WSL 
wind down. Well, as expected, the Women's Super League has called time on its season this week, as well as the Women's Championship as well. Um, But who are going to be champions? Will there be relegation? How will it all be sorted out? Well, an FA board decision is impending on that one. So we will find out, just not yet. Uh, Matt Beard, who's the West Ham coach, says points per game is the most fair solution to work it out. Hope Powell, who's the Brighton boss, uh, says there should be no relegation if points per game comes into play. As it stands, City are top. They've played 16 times. They've got 40 points. Chelsea are a point behind, having played one less game. So should the FA decide to go with points per game, whether it's weighted or unweighted, it doesn't matter. Chelsea would leapfrog City and be awarded the title, having played that one game fewer than their rivals. Goodness. So lots to be decided. Just to take a step back, it is, it's such a huge shame. It's probably the right decision. Of course it is. There was a lot of input from clubs and players. But what a shame, Lindsay, that at the beginning of the season we were sat in bumper crowds. We had that North London derby that we broadcast live from uh, with the record attendance of over 31,000. Uh, the great attendance at the Etty had the sellout at King's Meadow as well for Chelsea's game against Manchester United. There was so much momentum, wasn't there, going into this season. It feels really, really sort of bitter for it to come to an end. Although we we all understand why it has. Yeah, and there was so much to still be decided. So that title race was right down to the wire. And I think that would have gone all the way throughout the season. And then for relegation places, um, Liverpool in that bottom spot at the moment, but Birmingham not that far ahead of them. And I think there was just so much that could still play out. um, So many narratives still to unfold that it's a real crying shame that we don't get to enjoy that. Um, Although I do think that on this occasion, the majority of players have decided that they wanted to call time for for whatever reason that may be. Some of it is to do with financials, some of it to do with contracts, uh, some of it to do with um, the way that they don't have the training schedules of, of what the men do sometimes. So although the league is fully professional because they don't have as many games, they probably would take longer to get back to full fitness. Yeah, so and also all of that to take into consideration. Yeah, resource is a big issue, of course. Hayley, do you think it was right that the Women's Super League didn't just mimic what the Premier League was doing? Do you think it's good that it sort of st- stood on its own two feet, stood its ground and said, you know what, for us, it's not the right decision to carry on? Yeah, quite, because you don't know how it's going to impact things financially with that running into next season as well. You'd like to think, OK, let's just call it quits right now. I don't agree that the, um, there should be a, a champion. I think it's too close to call at the top. I don't think there should be relegation. I think that's just really unfair. But I think if it's going to impact next season, then that's definitely the right thing to do. It's just such a shame that in a year that women's football should have kind of built on that, you know, the post-cup momentum that we've, World Cup momentum that we've seen, that it's going to lose that. You just think it's it's such a shame that obviously we've been watching it more on television. There have been bigger crowds. There have been more attention, more headlines. We kind of don't have the accolades and the headlines and um, shining the individual spotlights as well, or the spotlights on individuals, I should say, at the end of the season when we have these great awards and the PFA awards, which now, of course, involve um, the women's game as well. And we love kind of getting to the end of the season and celebrating some of the stories that we might not have, have followed as closely in the women's game. So I, I do think it's a real shame. But as you said, it sounds like most of the players um, come together and in agreement that this is it. It has to be halted and they're just going to have to pick themselves up and hopefully um, start off next season. And it 
I guess, gives players as well a little bit of time to sort out what they're going to be doing with with contracts and things, which I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about shortly, because that's quite complicated. They have short contracts, one to two years, and they're going to be up um, at the beginning of July. Yes, well, we've um, already seen a little bit of movement going on. Scheduling pressures too, Lindsay. We know because of bad weather, there were many, many games to be caught up upon, really, when you when you reflect. And that moves on to the point of whether to have promotion and relegation still, because just over 70% of WSL games played, uh, 67% of championship games played. So many are arguing, look, there's just there just hasn't been enough of the season done to be talking about making a fair decision about promotion and relegation no and I don't think that they will Um, and the main aggrieved party when you look at that if that doesn't happen will be Aston Villa top of the championship hoping to come into the WSL six points clear of Sheffield United so that there's a little bit of a gap between them Um, and you would really feel for them as a club but I think that they will be the the club that comes away from this with a, a bit of beef because I can't see in the WSL how they can award a title um, not only a Chelsea got that game in hand, they had a superior goal difference over City as well. So with one point just between them at the top, it's just impossible to call. I mean, Arsenal were only one win away from Chelsea as well. And if they still had each other to play before the end of the season in those top three spots, so much still to be decided. Yeah. And then at the bottom, uh, how can you relegate a team when there's a point there difference at, at the bottom as well? I can't see that being the ruling. I really can't. Mm. But that's that would automatically mean that Aston Villa surely is the championship winning side at the moment wouldn't get to go up either unless it was an expanded league um there are loads of different options aren't there let's bring women's football journalist rich laverty into the conversation now as we try and make our way through what's to be decided and what might happen how this situation might well play out so welcome rich great to speak to you um, i must ask what you've been up to in lockdown how does a women's football journalist cope when we're all confined to our own homes and there are no games to go to yeah, I've, I've not found it too bad, to be honest, because obviously my role with Sheffield United was probably most affected given the season didn't end. So it actually gave me a chance to kind of actually go back to writing a little bit yeah. more and um, sort of go back through ideas and, and features and interviews that I'd kind of put off, you know, and you come home at night and you can't be bothered sending an email or making a phone call and you've got no excuse then to put it off. So it's not actually been too bad. Well, we'll quiz you about Manchester City um, towards the end of this chat. I do just want you to wade in on the, the curtailment of uh, the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship too. The big question is, how are they going to decide it? What are they going to do about the title? What are they going to do about promotion and relegation? Anything from your point of view or any indication that you've heard might be the likely outcome? No, I, I've gone back and forth on it personally so much and I think a lot of people think they might not relegate. It, it's such a difficult one. Like mm. it's a horrible decision. Like I, I wouldn't want to be making the decision. I think there has to be promotion. I think Aston Villa deserved to go up, and I think that would have happened anyway. I think, yeah, I, I think, I think they have to be consistent. I think if they award a title like to to Chelsea or Manchester City, they have to relegate because it's as close at the top as it is at the bottom. So I don't think you can do one or the other. If they decide not to award a title then they could probably get away with not relegating. But I think it has to be consistent across the board or else it's just going to look like favouritism. How about, though, in terms of contracts? Because we know that there's these short contracts in in the women's game. Um, A lot were coming to an end this summer and needing renewing in July. 
Um, what does that mean? And, and has it had a better effect by calling and making this decision on those players' livelihoods and futures? Yeah, I think it has now that we've got that certainty. I, I certainly know our general manager at Sheffield United was quite relieved when the decision was made because you, because you can then start thinking about contracts and sorting contracts out for next season. I'm sure most clubs now have been through the process of release and retain in terms of which players they're going to keep on and, and which are going to get released. And I think I think that's what most clubs wanted. And I think that's why there was a shift kind of in the last month or so to from wanting to restart and then getting to a point to thinking we just need to finish it now because the clock was ticking towards contracts and a lot of clubs wanted to sort their contracts out. So I think now that even though we don't, obviously for a couple of clubs, like you said, Villa, Liverpool, they don't know what league they're going to be in next season yet. Everybody else can kind of start to plan now and, and put those contracts in place. So I think it's just been a big relief for the clubs to get this decision done now. And hopefully it's not too long until the the big decision on, on how it ends, because I think it needs to be sooner rather than later, because there's, there's people wondering, you know, where they're going to be playing football next season. Yeah, the FA, obviously, that, that, that runs the WFL, um, they've only this year monetized TV rights for, for this level of women's football in this country. What about the impact long term and what about the problems that WSL could encounter and that the help that the FA are going to have to give them to guide them through this? Yeah, I think that's been a big talking point because there hasn't actually been any kind of guidance yet on on the finances and whether there'll be any financial help for the clubs whether it's from the FA or from the Premier League I know in Germany that the big clubs have kind of put a, a trust fund together almost to help the lower league clubs and the women's clubs and that hasn't happened here I mean it hasn't happened anywhere else to be fair it's, it's not just a an English issue that we're not doing that I think I think the whole monetizing is is one of the reasons they want null and void it as well because there was prize money in the WSL for the first time this season. And while it's not earth-shattering money, I think it would help a lot of clubs. And if you null and void it, I assume that prize money doesn't get handed out because there's no league table to base it off. So it's a difficult one. You know, I think Lewis have said, you know, there's big opportunities for TV attention when the women's game comes back and, and that we should we should be doing all we can to, to get TV deals and, and to put women's football in the spotlight because our season might be starting just as the men's season is ending and the men are going into pre-season and that would bring women's football right to the forefront. So I think the next few months are really important in terms of the money, the financial side, it always is. But I think the main priority is making sure we actually have all the teams still in place, you know, because there are some, a lot of clubs in the championship that are lower league, league one, league two, even non-league clubs. So I hope fingers crossed we can keep all of them around and, and we don't have to go through more structural changes and just to finish up rich we've seen on thursday that gareth taylor's the new manager for manchester city so they're promoting from within again is that what you were expecting um yes and no in a way that they did speak to one or two foreign coaches so it did seem for a while maybe they were going down a, a different route but then very early on also heard they were looking in-house at uh, an appointment from the academy, which is very similar to Nick. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, he, he does seem very sort of cut from the same cloth as Nick Cushing in terms of he's coming across from the men's side and the academy. He's been very successful at, at developing players, which is something Nick always did. So it'd be interesting if they brought him in to kind of 
continue that philosophy. And Gareth Taylor's got a three-year contract at Man City. So um, looks good for a long-term investment there. Rich, thank you so much for talking to us. Really, really appreciate it. Hope you stay well in lockdown in Leeds and that we see you out and about whenever things back to normal again. No worries. Well, thanks very much to women's football journalist Rich Laverty there, part of the old school offside rule pod crew. Uh, Great to have him on. Uh, We'll wait to see then um, how the situation with WSL and the Women's Championship plays out. But right now we are going to, by way of celebration that the Champions League final should have been this week, lament those teams and players who never quite got there. Remember that? Feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? That hallowed music, of course, signals the Champions League. And it's meant to be the Champions League final this Saturday. But in reality, we're not even out of the last 16 yet. We are waiting to see who might be crowned champions of Europe this season. But until that happens, there are some amazing club sides and players who've never quite done it. Hayley, tell us for you who should have got there but didn't or hasn't. Do you know, I was really surprised when researching this because you're trying to think of all these great players. You're like, oh, haven't won the Champions League. And um, of course, it's winners that spring to mind. It's the heroes. But the list of nearly men is quite incredible. There's some huge names that have never quite done it. And Juventus are one of those clubs that have basically had a lot of bad luck and huge players who've never quite managed to win it. What about this? Jean-Luigi Buffon. He played in three finals and suffered three defeats. He is, of course, one of the world's greatest goalkeepers. He wanted to end his um, career with victory. He stayed on, of course, in 2017, saying he he was going to retire. But if they got to the Champions League again and they got to a final, he would, in fact, stay on. It didn't happen. He didn't go on to win the Champions League. He joined PSG for one season kind of in pursuit of that trophy but yet again didn't manage it and he he played in 2003 in that final 2015 and 2017 so it's been very very unlucky for for him and some other great players at Juventus another one I'll name a little bit later who played for three huge clubs in Europe and still managed to never win it (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay well I've gone down the route of looking at the most appearances in the Champions League and seeing what names that threw up and in fact in the top three it threw up that very name that Haley's just mentioned Gianluigi Buffon who never won with Juventus has made the most appearances in the Champions League without ever winning the trophy and then you look a little bit further down the list and a couple of surprising names I thought Zlatan Ibrahimovic and wow, did he try because he, <laughs> he actually went and, and played for so many clubs that had Champions League football. Ajax, Juventus, Inter Milan, Barcelona, AC Milan, Paris, Man United. It's one thing he can't be boastful about. He can't be that ultimate bragger because he hasn't got a Champions League winner's medal. And the other is Cesc Fabregas, which I think this is quite surprising when you read more about his career. Um, the just the nearly part of it. He was a runner-up with Arsenal in 2006 and then 
Barcelona were champions both the season before he joined them and the season after he left. So can you imagine being that close both times? <laughs> he played for three different clubs that have had Champions League football as well, if you include Chelsea too. So Cesc Fabregas up there as well. Mm, I was thinking about players who, who you can see holding a Champions League trophy or who had such an illustrious career and were recognised on the international stage, on the European stage, that, that holding that trophy off would have, would have just suited them perfectly, a bit like Patrick Vieira. Uh, you know, we know Arsenal haven't won a Champions League trophy, but that invincible team, oh my goodness me, it just should have done. It would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? Um, we know that players like Thierry Henry left Arsenal and then went on to... Uh, win the Champions League but for Vieira it didn't quite work out that well he left the Gunners to join Juventus in 0506 uh, when Arsenal met Juventus in the Champions League in 0506 it was just awful for Vieira he was booed he didn't perform well it was just a total nightmare for him and in that very same season Arsenal reached the final uh, the best they've done by all accounts so far in that Champions League competition they didn't win of course but I just think it's such a shame that that invincible side with all of its talent, all of its um, magic, I suppose, couldn't ever quite get to do it in the Champions League. Hayley, what else have you got? Well, what about the last player to win the Ballon d'Or without ever claiming the Champions League? That is Fabio Cannavaro. That's Mm. right. He only reached one semi-final with Inter, but lost to AC Milan. That was on um, away goal. So that's pretty painful uh, to lose in that manner. Of course, he played with the Juventus, with, with Inter, with Real Madrid. Madrid as well and you'd think that he would have got to a Champions League final I think I would definitely if I had the choice of winning the World Cup or a Champions League final of course you'd always take the World Cup but he said one of his biggest regrets is never getting to a final and winning it he said he'd love to have have tasted that if you're a striker and you're banging in the goals in the Champions League you must have more of an expectation than anyone to hopefully one day get the trophy. That's not happened yet for Robert Lewandowski for Dortmund and Bayern. He's not yet won or held that trophy aloft. Um, Yet he is the top scorer uh, in Champions League at the moment. And then Ruud van Nisselrooy, another big name, played for PSV, Man U, Real Madrid, never got the the winner's medal. (laughs) Perhaps not the mega talent, though, that Iguain, Miroslav Klose could could claim to have. You know, other players who've spent significant time at clubs, but never, and big clubs as well, um, but never, ever done it. Um, all right, I'm going to call time on that one, uh, a list of people who, like us, will never, or at least have never, lifted the Champions League trophy. We can only hope, ladies, one day. Um, next up, we are going to get all Frankenstein. All right, Frankenstein's footballer this week saw De Classica in the Bundesliga. Yet again, Bayern Munich coming out on top thanks to a Joshua Kimmich chip over Dortmund keeper Berkey. But it turns out that Bayern were targeting Berkey all along because, as Thomas Muller put it, he has short arms. So therefore, a definite target. So that kind of got us thinking, if we reverse that, who would be the ultimate footballer? We'll leave it to Premier League players only to keep things simple. And we're looking for the best headers, torsos and arms, left leg, right leg. Who is our uber ultimate footballer? After we're done, producer Abby's going to decide whose limb ideas are best, which ideas are a bit limp, uh, and then piece together the perfect footballer. Hayley, tell us what you've got for starters. 
Right. What about someone with a good head? Okay. And I am talking about Sebastian Haller. He has won 206 headers. Okay. When I was looking at the, the charts, Thankfully, the Premier League can provide us with the stats. I was thinking it might have been someone else or a bigger name. But uh, yeah, it's West Ham's record signing, of course. He turned heads when he was playing for Eintracht Frankfurt. He scored 15 goals and a further nine assists in the Bundesliga. A good few with his head. A record signing and I think pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? I'm going to go for who I think is the best headerer, certainly for scoring goals, that still just about plays in the Premier League. <laughs> I'm going Andy Carroll. I think if you could get that aerial height that he gets and the the way that he manages to get the power behind the ball as well, it's very difficult for anyone to compete with him. But of course, he's injured so much that he doesn't really mm. play that often. But if you're giving me a head for just one match, for a one-off as a Frankenstein monster, I'm putting Andy Carroll on it. I think as well, Lindsay, you've got a good point. It's the only part of him that is kind of not injured if the rest of him is falling apart. So it's only the only bit of him that's of any use is his head. Yeah. By the way, however much I hear the word header, it's, it doesn't sound right, does it? Header of the ball. Um, I'm going to chip in with Burnley's Chris Wood, consistently up there in the headers charts. He currently sits top of the charts for this season. was joint top last season, I think. So Burnley's Chris Wood, someone for me to throw in there. Let's go to the next part of the body, though. Torso or arms or both? I am going to throw at you Stephen Bergwijn. I can't say his name properly. I haven't been on air for the last year or so, so I'm, I'm hoping that's not too bad. I think it's just wine, like drinking Bergwine. wine. Bergwine, oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So you can have a wine with a guy who has wonderful chest skills. That's right. OK, this was only displayed in one game, but it was so outstanding and it was a pivotal game as well. Of course, it was Manchester City up against Tottenham, a hugely important one. City, of course, went down to 10 men. Uh, Tottenham won 2-0. And my goodness, if you just watch back the wonderful piece of skill and that chess control and the volley that followed, it really was the stuff of dreams from that man. Oh. And he became the 250th player to score on his Premier League debut as well. Well, I've thought goalkeepers for this one and looking at some of the best goalkeepers out there, Burnley's Nick Pope, but hit the concern with him, even though his stats are good, he's not particularly tall for a Premier League goalkeeper, he's only six foot two. So, you know, he might not have the longest arms. Ben Foster, his stats are good. Alisson, of course, had a really good season last season. Lucas Fabianski keeps coming up in those charts as well. Um, Lindsay, I hope you've been a bit more definitive than me, who's just sort of danced around that one. Well, the, the keeper with the actual longest arms, I don't think there'd be any disagreement if you spoke to any football that's played with him they all say about his arms it's Herelio Gomez who's at Watford mm. but of course in the twilight of his career but if you're going for actual longest arms it's him in the Premier League at the moment in terms of diving around and the ability to just get down low for a ball I think I'd go Kasper Schmeichel for, for arms I think he's got he's got a great reach um, and I've seen that firsthand on, on a couple of occasions where he's stopped balls that I thought how on earth have you stopped that going mm. in um Torso wise, look, I'm going for experience again. I think that Olivier Giroud is hard to beat 
for a player holding up a ball well. And I think that showed when Chelsea were playing in the Europa League and that's where he got most of his minutes in game time last season. He made such a difference in how he held the ball up. And a lot of that is chess control. And of course, he's a little bit of a poser as well. So he's probably got quite a good torso. He's he's basically probably shaved it, hasn't he, is what we're saying. (laughs) Shaved it and worked it. I'm going to move on to the legs now. Um, Don't know how many legs are shaven, but let's go to skill on the left leg, Hayley. Right, I have gone for... I mean, can we pick anyone else? I think it has to be producer Abby, David Silver. His passing Mm. ability, everything about him. He was uh, nicknamed Merlin and El Mago from his um, teammates and fans because he is obviously a bit of a magician. And when it comes to a left foot, I think we cannot look any further than the attacking midfielder, the maestro, David Silver, despite the fact he obviously plays for um, the team that I dislike very much. I had to put him in there. But it's mm. a good way to immortalise him, isn't it? Because he's set to yes. leave City, probably. So um, great time um, to uh, celebrate his Premier League career. Um, I'm going to chip in with Mo Salah. Um, he doesn't score every goal with his left foot, but the amount of goals he scores means that he's a good bet with a left foot. Last season, around 80% of his goals were from his left foot. So top scorer overall last season, the best of the lefties in terms of the goal scoring charts for me. So I would put in, and I agree on David Silver, by the way, but I'd also throw in Mo Salah as well. Lindsay. I think about pinging balls across the field and I think about who's done that most artistically and to greatest effect in recent seasons. And it's got to be Kevin De Bruyne. Now, yes, he has an excellent left foot, but I am happy for you to also take his right foot because he's got more assists from his right than he has even playing with his left. So I'll leave that one to producer Abby. All right, so Kevin De Bruyne, Lindsay's shout. Uh, initially, I was confused whether it was left or right, but I think I think we're saying both, aren't we, for Lindsay? He's a good contender yeah. for both. Um, I'll chip in with a right leg then. A couple of suggestions from me very briefly. Sergio Aguero, loves a hat-trick, guaranteed goals, all-round brilliant player. Of course he is, exceptional talent. He'd be reliable for us uh, in that right-footed way. Um, Sadio Mane as well. How about chucking him in? He gives you goals and assists, so could be potentially more useful. Okay, look, I'm going to go a bit off topic here. This has absolutely nothing to do with the body parts of current players in the Premier League. Because, look, if we were going to pick the body parts and kind of do a Frankenstein version of the ultimate player, of course, we'd just mash up Ronaldo and Messi, wouldn't we? But I was quite surprised at the difference in the policy value of the insurance between Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. There's a couple of other names up there. I'm going to give you girls a bit of a quiz to see if you can guess who they are. But Messi's legs are insured for £750 million. But Ronaldo's just, just £103 million. Oh. Yeah, I know. That's very interesting indeed. What about, um, have we got any stats on the top Premier League players? Legworth. I, tr- I try to find, <laughs> no. However, do you know, in England, with the current policy, and this is of 2020, this was in February, who has his legs insured for £177 million? Harry Kane? No, it's someone that no longer plays. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Beckham? Yeah. What? He still has his legs insured for 177 million. This is in euros, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And considering he's got them insured for 177 million, you've got Manuel Neuer, whose hands are only insured for 4 million euros, and Iker Casillas, <laughs> 15 million. 
Yes, now that's not much at all considering their no. position, is it? All right, good stuff. Um, well, here we go. We've got the final decision from Arbiter, Abby Patterson, who's our uh, delightful producer, and has decided, ladies, that of our Frankenstein footballer, Anna's decided, ladies, that our Frankenstein footballer is stitched together of the following players. The head is Andy Carroll. Congratulations, Lindsay. The torso is Bergwijn. Hayley, good shout on that one. The arms belong to Schmeichel. Lindsay, that's for you. David Silva takes the left leg, although this was tough. And thank goodness I come in at the final post, having had none of my suggestions (laughs) taken on board yet, with the right leg. I I suspect it's because we had slightly less right leg suggestions than anything else. But thank you, Abby. You've given me Aguero. Good work, ladies. Before we end this podcast, of course, any other business that's up next. All right. So any other business or as uh, producer Abby has renamed it, any other beeswax. I quite like that one. Uh, None of your beeswax, but it's all of our beeswax because it's the uh, way we like to end the show here on the Offside Rule. The shorter stories in football that you may have missed this week. Lindsay, what have you got for us? I love these cases of mistaken identity in different (laughs) jobs when it comes to football. And there was one that was doing the rounds. Of course, it was quickly deleted and and put correct. But Yap Stam has become manager at an MLS side, FC Cincinnati. But when they announced it, they posted a picture of an Ajax youth coach. And I I just remember seeing it flash up and thinking, that's not Yap Stam. (laughs) But they have changed it. And yeah. Uh, congratulations to Yapstam getting into management. Ah, brilliant. Uh, well, some good news, ladies, for people wanting to liven up the experience of watching footballers with no fans in the stadium. We've kind of talked about the various methods, the accidental sex dolls in Korea. Uh, we've talked about broadcasters piping in fan cheers. Well, all we need now is the remote cheerer app. So you get to record a message into your phone and reaction and then choose which one of the 58 speakers within a football ground you would like it to be aired through. Okay, so bringing uh, the match experience to you. And uh, they've really thought of everything because the makers are working on voice recognition technology to ensure that no naughty words make it through because, of course, that would be completely abused if we used it over here. Uh, It has gone down well. One of the J-League managers uh, has said uh, that at one point during the system field test, I closed my eyes and it felt like the cheering fans were right there in the stadium with me. So I'm guessing... You've got all 58 speakers, haven't you? All with various reactions going on and messages, verbal messages. Yes, verbal messages too. So it might sound okay. Uh, The other alternative is it it could just sound really confusing. Oh, God. Okay. Well, it's big cheers for a big contract for a big player at Livingston. But my goodness, this was very, very funny. The tweet that they put out to decide whether they were going to give the goalkeeper a contract or not. That's right. They had actually tweeted to say, uh, quite possibly a football first, we're giving you the chance to decide on the future of our goalkeeper. With his contract expiring next month, we're leaving it in the hands of the fans (laughs) as to whether or not we (laughs) offer stretch and extension. People thought this was a joke. It wasn't. And they gave you the two options on there. What did the goalkeeper say about it? Well, he actually saw the funny side of things and he's he's been at the club for quite some time and obviously they're all all friends and he did say it was a, a bit of banter and he was okay with it. He said, obviously... that. With the global pandemic, money's going to be tight for a lot of teams. I told them just to give up my contract and keep one of the younger players on, he said. But yes, people thought that the tweet might not have been 
very good taste. He said, but he said, well, why don't you just put it to the supporters? And they took it quite literally. So his contract expires next month and they decided to leave it in the hands. It got over um, 200,000 vote, 200,000 retweets and impressions. Mm. It went, yeah, it went viral. And um, yeah, hundreds of thousands of votes, probably not from the fans at Livingston, but just people who wanted to get involved. <laughs> and they did offer him a new contract. And we've been following the story. 70% of people said, yes, he should stay. Good. Uh, people <laughs> left some really horrible comments, though. Yeah, quite possibly. But hopefully Gary wasn't reading all of those and just thought, you know what? I've got a new contract. I'm 37. I'll just stay on, have a bit of fun and enjoy playing up here for a little bit, a little bit longer. Update from producer Abby. Um, apparently uh, the goalkeeper's tweets have gone crazy. DMs have gone crazy. I wish I spoke Turkish because I'm getting offered all sorts. I wish I was offered a hair transplant, but unfortunately that hasn't come in yet. (laughs) Good stuff, Lindsay. We started with the sad news about the WSL um, having to call time this season and the Women's Championship as well. But I want to bring a positive story forward, although I will mention that the fact that the season has been null and void and cancelled and they're deciding what to do about where they award what. uh, We have got an article on OffsideRulePodcast.com from one of our writers, Jessie, who explores that in more detail. But I'll finish with the fact that Reading Women next season will be ground sharing with the men at the Medeski Stadium. So that is really, really good news. And they won't have any ground rent to to pay for that. They they own the ground, don't they? And also quality of pitch as well, Linz. You know, that's... That's been a big factor for this season. All right, so some good news to end with. That's it for the show this week, uh, folks. If you're listening at home, wherever you are, perhaps you're out for your daily walk. Thanks uh, for tuning in. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the fifth star. Please do. We 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 insist, uh, mostly because it helps other people find us. Uh, you can keep in touch with us uh, at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. And as Lindsay mentioned, we've got a great website, offsiderulepodcast.com. Not only Jesse's article there on the WSN and the Women's Championship ending, uh, but we've also got some feature interviews there um, uh, on Bristol City's Lauren Dykes, um, who's talked about the growth of the WSL. The rise and fall of Mario Goetze um, is another one that we've looked at. And there's a bit of a flashback um, to one famous team that's uh, coming through in the next few days. So some good stuff going on there. We're off for now. But before we go, uh, Lindsay and Hayley, it's going to be hot, isn't it, here in the for a good few days to come. What's the perfect item for a barbecue for you? A sausage. Oh, okay. Hayley? I think I'm going to go slightly swanky on this one. I'm going to go for some prawns on the barbie. True ah. Aussie style. Put another prawn, put another shrimp on the barbie, shrimp mate. on the barbie. A little bit of lemon juice squeezed over with some garlic in some tinfoil on a skewer. Boom. Oh, well, after your corporate match day experience last week, Hayley, the prawns oh, do not surprise me at all. Uh, for me, I'm a veggie, so it's got to be uh, halloumi. Hello, me. Halloumi. All the way on the barbecue. Delicious. Uh, that's it from us. Uh, thank you very much, Hayley and Lindsay. Listeners, too, hope you're keeping well in these strange times. And we'll be back with more next week. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Muddy Knees Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.